I want to invite you to take your copy of God's Word and turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 21, and we'll be reading verses 15 through 17. And while you're turning there in your Bibles, let me set up the background. This is the, uh, in the days, probably a few weeks, uh, definitely uh, not more than a month after Jesus has risen from the dead, and he has not yet ascended uh, into heaven. He's not yet gone to be at the right hand of God the Father, and, um, and he's doing his work. And here's an interesting thing. The Bible makes it clear he was not with the disciples the entire time. He made appearances to them at certain points, but he wasn't with them constantly all the time. And so the disciples kind of had to figure out, well, what are we going to do now? You know, what, what's going to be our thing? And if you come to, as you come to John chapter 21, the Bible tells us that there are seven disciples. Five of them are named, and that we know those names are, are five of the 12 main apostles. The other two are not named, so it's probably likely that they're names that nobody else would know who they were. They weren't part, but seven of the early Christians um, were all kind of uh, gathered together, just hanging out, and Peter... Uh, seeming to be the, the leader of the group that he often was and, and also the, the impulsive one, the one ready to go and do, Peter says, I'm going fishing. Who's with me? And everybody says, we're with you, Peter. That's a great idea. Let's go fishing. And so they go out and they, they fish and um, they go out at night. That's the time on the Sea of Galilee when you really can catch fish. And uh, here they are. Most of them are professional fishermen. They're really good at this. They fish all night, and their catch is so big that it's nothing. Nothing in their nets at all. Absolutely nothing. And they've fished all night. And this is starting to seem like it's not a very good idea. And when dawn comes, they see someone on shore. They can't make out who it is, probably because the sun is behind him. But this someone calls out and says, Hey, fellas, have you caught anything? <laughs> And can you imagine, they're all kind of looking, who's going to answer this guy? You know, nobody wants to be the one that says, no, we hadn't caught a thing. But someone says, no, we've, we've fished all night and we hadn't caught anything. And he says, well, try throwing the net on the other side of the boat. Now, can you imagine if you'd fished all night and, and maybe you're out there with a pole, you know, and someone says, oh, cast your pole on the other side of the boat. Sure, that's going to do it, right? I fished all night and not caught a thing. But they say, okay, because some of them, even though they can't see because of the blinding sun coming up, they, they think this might just be Jesus. So maybe we should listen to him. And they throw their net on the other side, and a load of fish comes up that the net can hardly even contain. And they remember, they realize that it's Jesus and um, Peter does a funny thing. First of all, we said he's impetuous. He jumps in the boat. They're only 100 yards out, but that's not quick enough for Peter. But it says before he jumps into the water and swims to shore, he puts on more clothes, okay? He doesn't take off clothes. He puts on more clothes because he'd been kind of stripped down to fish, but he didn't want to leave his, his stuff on the boat for whatever reason. He puts his cloak, everything back on. He jumps in, and he gets there to Jesus. And he finds Jesus there. <coughs> Jesus is sitting uh, by a little charcoal fire. And it's interesting because remember that one of the times that, Jesus, that Peter denied Jesus was when there was a, he was in a courtyard and there was a little fire. Well, a very similar little fire was there. And, and Jesus had some fish already uh, cooking over that fire. And he said, come and join me. And then he says, and come and bring some of your fish too. 
And it's really neat because, you know, God doesn't have need of us. He can do everything without us, but yet he lets us participate uh, in service and worship with him. And so even though Jesus already had it covered, he already had the fish there, he says, bring some of those fish that you brought too. And so he, they bring some fish, and then they have this amazing uh, breakfast together. I mean, can you imagine that? They're on the beach. The sun's coming up. Fish for breakfast. This is sounding really good. And uh, it's really nice and fun and comfortable until Jesus starts talking to Peter and asking him some, some very difficult questions. Not difficult to understand, but uh, difficult in, in what they say, what they ask of Peter. And so that's what we're going to be reading today is these very short, short verses from John chapter 21, verses 15 and 17. Stand with me, if you would, please in honor and reverence for the reading of the Word of God. John 21, beginning in verse 15. After breakfast, Simon asked Jesus, uh, Jesus, excuse me, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know that I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know that I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Let's pray. God, thank you for this passage of Scripture and, and the interaction of your son Jesus uh, with Peter and what that teaches us about our love for you. Help us to really be honest with ourselves and with you today about where we are in relationship to you. And may that honesty bring repentance where it's needed and it bring closeness as we draw closer to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You can be seated. Now, I wonder if any of you guys in your life have ever come across one of those love tester machines. They're, they're interesting. They kind of look like, you know, a, an arcade machine or a pinball machine. But, but instead of, um, put, you still put in a quarter or two, you know, or a dollar, depending. But instead of playing a game or bumping the sides of the pinball machine, it's you and your honey love, you and your baby, you and your steady, you both put your hands on this, maybe on the surface or on this joystick or whatever, and supposedly it's going to read the current between the two of you, and it's going to tell you where you are. And so there's kind of a sliding scale that goes up, and at the bottom it's like clammy, cold like fish, okay? If that comes up, you're doomed. The relationship is off. And then above that, it says mild. And in the middle, it says naughty, but nice. And then above that, it's like passionate. And the very top, it's like flaming hot. You know, you guys are burning in love for each other. And, and you know, that's, those are always kind of interesting sort of things. But in real life, there, there's no such thing as a, a love tester like that, that that we know of that's a, that's a foolproof love tester. But Jesus really gives us in this passage a, a love tester for our relationship with him. He asks a question to the apostle Peter. He has three questions, but the first one he says a little differently. He says, do you love me more than these? Now, the other couple of times he says, do you love me? 
But the first time he says, do you love me more than these? And the immediate question is, well, what are these? What, what is it that I'm, do I love you more than? Well, well, let's go back to the original Greek language and find out what the scholars have to say. Well, when you do that, the scholars all say, even in the original Greek, it's kind of vague. It's kind of indeterminate. There, there's lots of different possibilities so for what Jesus could have meant by love me more than these. And so this morning, I want us to quickly, as we're preparing to have communion, I want us to do a love test on our own hearts. I want each of us, as we go through these possibilities of what Jesus could have meant, I want us to test ourselves and say, do I love Jesus more than, and you fill in the blank, for that thing in your life that is so important, that is so huge for you. The first way it could be interpreted is, uh, Jesus could have been saying, Peter, do you love me more than these fish? Okay, that's a possibility. Do you love me more than these fish? The grammar would allow that to be the possibility. Now, you're thinking, well, that's an easy one, right? Surely, surely uh, he loves him more than these fish. But in other words, do you love me more than your possessions? Think about the things that God has blessed you with the stuff, the bank account, the furniture, uh, the equipment that you have, your favorite gun or your favorite sewing machine or I don't know, whatever it is that you have that you really like, the possessions in your life, do you love Jesus more than that thing? And if you're saying, what is that thing? Um, Maybe, you know, it might be the thing that you run back into a house if you said, this is what I'd run back in to get if my house was on fire. Or it might be that thing you've got insured the most. Or it might be that thing that you check on the most. Do you love Jesus more than the stuff that you have in your life? It also could be interpreted do you love me more than these, the fish? But it could be talking about not possessions, but his profession. In other words, do you love Jesus more than the activity that you get the most fulfillment out of in life? And it, for, it might be like Peter, his job. or But you, it might be a hobby or it might be an entertainment. But whatever activity, whatever thing you do in your life that you get the most fulfillment out of... Do you love Jesus more than that? See, this is a fitting question for Peter. Because Jesus, remember, he called him when Peter was on the boat, and he said, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. You have this career, you have this activity, you have this central purpose in your life before that's all about fishing for fish. But I'm calling you to fish for men. I'm calling you to a greater purpose. And now here, he's gone back to fishing for fish. Was that a sin? No. But the question is, was it, a, was it a thing where he was saying, I'm going back to this being my main thing, this being the driving force in my life? And if that was the case, then it would be wrong in his life because he was putting that activity, he was putting his career over God. Do you love me more than stuff, possessions? Do you love me more than profession? That is the things you do. 
He also could have been saying, do you love me more than these, referring to the other disciples. In other words, Peter, do you love me more than you love all other people? Possessions, profession, people, do you love me above anyone else? Or is there someone else in your life, whether it's mom, dad, son, daughter, husband, wife, friend, whoever in your life, is there anyone that you love more than God? The ancient Hebrews had a way of comparing love for one another. And to show a strong, strong love, you would say that you loved this person and hated this other person. And Jesus said, you must love me and hate your mother and father and sister and brother. Did he really want them to hate them? No. But Jesus was saying, "My, your love for me better be so much greater, so much higher, so much stronger that in comparison, it seems like hate compared to the way that you love me. Are there people in your life? I'm going to tell you, it's easy to idolize a spouse. It's easy to idolize children. It's easy to find somebody in your life and you pour into them and pour into them and pour into them. And before you know it, you have more invested in them than you have in your relationship with your heavenly father. And Jesus says, do you love me more than these? And finally, when he says, do you love me more than these? He could be talking about pride. In other words, Jesus is saying, do you love me more than all these other disciples love me? Now, why would he ask a question like that? Think back to right before Jesus was betrayed. He started telling the disciples, here's what's going on. Here's what's going to happen. I'm going to be taken, and I'm going to be crucified, and I'm going to rise again. And, and they didn't really know exactly what all that meant. They just couldn't comprehend it. They thought, he can't literally be meaning that. But, but they knew something bad was going to happen. Something traumatic was going to happen. And remember back what Peter said? He said, Peter, I mean, he said, Jesus, if everybody else stumbles, I won't stumble. In other words, Jesus, everybody else may seem committed to you, but I'm really committed to you. They may all abandon you, but I'm, you're stuck with me. I'm here. I will never abandon you, Jesus. And of course, Jesus said, Peter, you're going to deny me three times before the cock crows. And when he did that, of course, Jesus was confronting him with the reality that his pride was so big and so full that he really, had a, he really trusted more in his faith than he trusted in Jesus. Do you know that we can mistake our faith in God for mistaken religion? We can become very prideful, boastful. We can say, I'm a good Christian. I do this, this, and this. I tithe. I attend. I do all the right religious things. I am a man of conviction. I am a woman of perseverance. I will never fall away. And we can become prideful and boastful. And Peter had become like that. No way I'll ever fall away. No way I'll ever stumble, Lord. And he was in that pride. But it seemed like perhaps he was in another form of pride now. There's a pride that says, I will never stumble. But there's also a different pride 
that says, I've sinned so much, God can never restore me. God can never use me. I've done too much. Even God's grace can't help someone who's messed up so badly as me. And that seems like perhaps maybe that's what, where Peter was on this day. He'd given up fishing for men and he was back to fishing for fish. And so his pride had flip-flopped from I'll never never fail Jesus to I'll never be worthy of him. I'll never be used by him again. And Jesus had to correct both forms of pride. He had to draw him back and say, Peter, you weren't as great as you thought you were because you thought that you'd never fail. But also, Peter, you're not as bad off as you think you are now. Because you're not recognizing how great my grace is. How great my restoration power is for you. So, as we come, as we prepare to have our invitation, as we prepare for communion, do you love Jesus more than the things you do? the stuff you own, the people you know, and even more than your own prideful, self-centered ways. Can you say, I love you more, Jesus? I think if we're honest, we might get a little uncomfortable with that question. Just like when Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? A second time, do you love me? A third time, do you love me? And the Bible says Peter was hurt. Why was he hurt? Because if we're really honest with God, that's a hurtful question. Because all of us can say we love you, God, if we do, but perhaps we don't love him enough. Perhaps there's an area where we love him more. We need to. So I'm going to ask you to do this. Instead of standing up and singing like we normally do during our invitation to discipleship, I'm just going to ask you to sit quietly where you are. Now, I'll be down here, and if you need to come talk with me or pray with me, I'll gladly receive you, and whoever's on your pew, they'll let you out to do that. But I'm just going to ask uh, for Philip to play and for you to just bow your heads where you are, and while the music is playing, for you to simply Spend a little time with God before we come before him and receive this meal that he is hosting for us today. Lord, show me where I need to love you more. Would you do that now? Bow with me, please.